0: And let's take our Bibles and turn at this point in time to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible, the fifth Old Testament book, the last book of the law of Moses. Deuteronomy chapter 18. It comes just after Numbers and just before the book of Judges. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Now, we're taking a brief hiatus uh, today from our series in Daniel, and we're returning to our Christmas series, which we've had for the past two years, entitled The Christmas Foretold. And this morning, we're looking at this promised prophet that is mentioned here in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Uh, In this series, uh, we're looking at, as I said, the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Lord Jesus and it's interesting that as you walk through the Old Testament writings we we discover um, amazing things we discover an unfolding portrait of the Messiah and with every prophecy that is given this portrait of Jesus grows in beauty and in detail every prophecy as it were is a promise a promise to send a Savior into the world. And it begins in Genesis chapter three, where God promises to send a deliverer, uh, who will come from the seed of the woman, that is from Eve, and he will crush the head of the serpent, Satan, at a great personal cost to himself. Then the the portrait unfolds a little bit more, and in Genesis chapter 49, we read that out of Judah will come a lion, and this lion will have a scepter in his hands. He will be a great ruler, and the obedience of the nations belongs to him. Then in Numbers chapter 24, we read that a star will come out of Jacob. So these are the three prophecies we've already looked at in our past uh, Christmas series. Today we begin with chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, where we have this great promise of a prophet. I want you to notice the promise. It's found in verse 15 and verse 18. Will you look at those verses, please? Verse 15 and 18. In 15, it is um, Moses speaking, and he says, "The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him." And then we have God's words quoted in verse. 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. Now to unpack this prophetic word and to understand it even better, I want us to consider four things today. I'm just going to give you an overview of where we're going. First of all, we're going to talk about the timing in which this promise was actually given. This, this is a significant thing because of the significant time. In other words, we're going to talk about the context in which this promise was given. Secondly, we're going to look at the author of the promise. It's very clear who the author is. It's the Lord your God. But I want to unpack that just a little bit more for us to understand exactly the heart of God, the author of this promise. Then we're going to look at the person of the promise. Who specifically is being referred to here? What is this promise all about? Finally, we're going to come to an application point. And the application will be the better part of this message, and it will be you and this promise. We want to talk about the significance of this to each of us personally. How should you respond to this promise? And why is responding to this promise so important? So now, the timing of the promise. Look at verse 9, verse 9. Here we see the context in which the promise was actually given. Verse 9 says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn the detestable ways of the nations there. When you enter the land. Now, this is a significant word because Moses and the people of Israel right at this point are on the border of the promised land. They are looking out over it. They can actually see it at this point in time. And this promise of a coming prophet is given just before they enter the land. We're talking here about the impending entrance into the promised land. And Moses warns them in this verse that when they go into the promised land, there are certain things that they are going to face. The promised land is not going to be this idyllic place of tranquility. Rather, it is going to be a place of conflicting spirituality. Verse 9, they're going to be surrounded by what he refers to here as the detestable ways of the nations. These are the spiritual practices of the people in the land of Canaan that Israel will dispossess. They're going to be surrounded by all of these things when they enter into the promised land. Now, what exactly are they going to experience? What is going to surround them? Beginning at verse 10, we have a list, and the list begins with child sacrifice. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire. Child sacrifice is the first thing that is mentioned. Now this was probably because the the pagan people in the land of Canaan believed that by sacrificing a child to the gods or to the spirits that they would somehow gain guidance. This was their form of entreating the spirits to speak to them. In other words, the the gods, the so-called gods, will speak if their bloodlust is satisfied. It's an invocation to the pagan gods. Then we read, also in verse 10, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, we're talking here now about, about fortune-telling. We're, we're talking about the works of the occult. We're talking about black magic, sometimes referred to as necromancy. It's the, it's the controlling of evil spirits. It's the calling up of these spirits. It's, it's manipulating the spirit world to do your will or manipulating the spirit world to hear what kind of message the spirit world will bring to you. Next in the list are those who engage in witchcraft or cast spells. The, pur- the purpose here in witchcraft or casting spells is to influence events or people. And then it is mentioned here, mediums or spiritists, those who consult the dead. Different words are used here, but it's all about communication. Whether it's, it's someone who practices divination or someone who is a medium it, it, it is all about communication it's about getting communication from beyond this world it's about getting communication from the dead a medium is someone who who conjures up the spirits of the dead to get the dead to communicate with them it's receiving this knowledge from the spirit world so it's all about communicating It's all about communicating with the unseen. It's all about receiving information. It's all about listening. Listening to these false prophets, these fortune tellers, these evil spirits. Look at verse 14. The nations you will dispossess, listen to those who practice sorcery or divination. They listen. When Israel would enter the promised land, they would see this this type of spiritual practice prevalent everywhere. This this was the spiritual air that was breathed by the people in the land. And Israel would be tempted to listen to these voices. These activities that are listed here are all, all a part of what we call the occult which comes from the Latin word occultus, which simply means that which is dark or hidden or secret. Listen, the works of the occult are harmful to your soul. They are so harmful to human beings that the nation through whom the message of salvation to humanity was to be communicated needed to be protected from being contaminated by the occult. Now, the, pra- the practices that are listed here are very common today. We see them in such things as horoscopes and palm reading and tea leaf reading and seances and psychic counselors and psychic fairs. We're going to return to that later, but here's the point. The point that God is making is that truth is not here. Truth is not found here. The point that God is making to his ancient people was you don't need those voices. You shouldn't listen to those voices. What you need is a true prophet, a true prophet. So this promise of a prophet was given when Israel would feel the pressure of all of these other spiritual voices and their influence would be strong. They were entering into the promised land, and in so doing, there was a sense in which they would open themselves up to these voices. Now, the other factor that is related to the timing in which this promise was given is the impending death of Moses. Now, Moses' death is not mentioned in these verses, but when you go to chapter 34, you discover his death. His death is recorded for us there. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but deuteronomy itself, which simply means the second giving of the law, this whole book from chapter 1 to chapter 34 is simply Moses' last sermon. He actually speaks this. It's recorded. It is a long You think my sermons are long? 34 chapters long. And at the end the death of Moses is recorded. In other words, the prophet who had guided them for so long, who had served as their mediator before God, who had delivered to them the law and the word of the living God, he would soon be gone. He was very old. And so, Israel, right at this point in time, is wondering who will lead us? Who will be our mediator? Who will guide us as we go into the promised land? So if we take these two things, the impending death of Moses and the impending entrance into the promised land where there would be all kinds of other prophetic voices, so to speak, that would beckon Israel to listen, we see the need for this promise. A major transition is about to occur within the leadership of the nation, and they're going to be surrounded by the occult influences of all of these voices. And so the people are given a promise of a coming prophet. Now let's go to the author of the promise, and as I already pointed out in verse 15, it is very clear that the promise is the Lord your God. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. This is a promise from the Lord himself, which immediately speaks to us of the grace of God. It is God who takes the initiative here, It is God who is going to reveal himself through this prophet, the God who reveals himself, the Lord your God. You'll notice the word Lord is in capital letters in the English Bible, and that is because the English translations of the Bible follow... a practice of the ancient Jews. And when the Lord's name is actually mentioned, the name is Yahweh, when that name is mentioned, they would not write the name, they would put Lord as a substitute for the name because they were afraid that if they spoke the name Yahweh, they might in some way take his name in vain. And so the Lord, your God, is actually Yahweh, your God. Now this brings Moses, this brings us back, and it brings Moses back in his experience to the burning bush. Do you remember when he was in exile in the, wil- the, wil- the wilderness for 40 years after he had murdered an Egyptian? And the Lord appeared to him as he was a shepherd, in, through, in and through the burning bush. And the Lord called to him out of the burning bush and called him to be a prophet. And you remember, Moses was reluctant. He didn't want to be God's prophet. He didn't want to go back to Egypt to fight for his own people. And the Lord pressed him. And Moses said, well, well, well the people are going to ask, who is this God who has called you? What is his name? And the Lord responded to Moses and said to him, I am who I am, Yahweh, the eternal self-existent God, the eternal God who needs nothing else in order to live. He lives by the generation of his own power. Now, this occurred at the start of the ministry of Moses. And now, at the end of the ministry of Moses, Moses is talking about the same God, the Lord your God. Now that's a significant phrase because when we talk about your God, the Lord your God, this speaks of the fact that Yahweh is a covenant-keeping God. He's a covenant-making God. He has a covenant people, the Lord your God. Israel was a distinct people. They had been set apart by him and set apart for him. And to contrast Israel with the other nations, the main difference is who you listen to. Because the nations in the land listen to all of these occultic voices, but, but the people of the Lord, those in covenant relationship with God, they listen to the Lord, and it should be to no one else. You see, this is a God who communicates. This is a God who wants to be known He's a communicating God who speaks truth. He's the God who who created us, and he speaks to reveal truth to us. He speaks to reveal himself to us. Verse 18 says, I will put my words, my words in his mouth, into the mouth of this prophet. I will put my words. So the author, God himself, is a God who reveals himself but he's also a God who provides access to himself. And this speaks of his grace because that's what verse 16 and 17 is all about. God providing access. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. Now this takes us back then to the giving of the law in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. And you remember when Moses went up onto the mountain to receive the law from God, God came down in all of his glory and, and there was the, the, the whole top of the mountain was set on fire and the smoke was billowing up into the clouds. The holy God came down In Fire and in smoke and the people then they they understood that if they were to approach this holy God, they would be consumed And so they asked Moses Moses you be the one to, to go before this holy God on our behalf you be the one to speak for us You be the one to bring back God's words to us you be the mediator Because they understand that they would be consumed if they ever approached God and so it says here in verse seventeen, the Lord said to me, "What they say is good." In other words, what they say, what they say is right. What they understood was right. And so here, the author of the promise, God Himself, provides now an access to Himself, the unapproachable God, the, the God who who dwells in unapproachable light, can be approached now through a mediator, and God provides this access. And he is the God who knows our need. You see, we we, we all need a voice. We all need a voice from beyond ourselves. The way we're wired and made and created as human beings, we, we yearn to hear a voice from beyond ourselves. We hear human voices all the time, and we know we need something more. We need a voice that will bring us hope, a voice that will connect us to God a voice that will touch us with the divine. We we need a voice beyond ourselves to give us direction in life, to navigate the perplexing problems and challenging circumstances of life. We need a voice from beyond ourselves to help us understand life. We need a voice that will speak with authority into our lives. And he knows our need. Now this brings us to the actual person of the promise. It is mentioned here in verse 15. He is referred to as a prophet. And Moses makes it clear that he will be a prophet, first of all, and I'm going to take this kind of in reverse order here, but first of all, from among your own brothers. Now, we have just looked at when this promise was actually given, that God condemned Israel from receiving any kind of spiritual revelation from sources other than God himself. So, therefore, we understand that this prophet that they're supposed to listen to will not be from these nations. He will not be from those nations. He will not be a prophet who deals in sorcery or witchcraft. But he will come from among your own brothers. That is, he will come from within Israel. He will be Abraham's seed. Now it's important to underscore this today because Islam teaches that Muhammad is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 and 18. They believe, of course, in the Torah, the five books of the law of Moses, and they hold in great reverence Jesus and Moses as two of their important prophets. And they believe that this great prophet that is prophesied here is none other than Muhammad himself. But the verse says that this prophet will be from among your own brothers. It is impossible for Muhammad to be the fulfillment of this promise because Muhammad was not an Israelite. Muhammad was an Ishmaelite. He did not come through Isaac's line, he came through Ishmael's line. You remember Abraham had two sons, one through the free woman, Sarah, Isaac, one from the bondwoman, Hagar. Son was Ishmael. He comes from the Ishmaelite line. And this promise, this prophet, it will come from the covenant people of God. He will come from Israel. Now, in Genesis chapter 49, this this promise is actually narrowed down. Not only will he be an Israelite, but he will actually come from a particular tribe. He will come from the tribe of Judah. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And later, and we're going to see this in a couple of weeks' time, when Pastor Chris preaches that he will come from the house and the lineage of David. And so the promise gets narrowed down from an Israelite to someone in the tribe of Jacob, to someone specifically from the household of King David, a prophet from among your own brothers. But notice it also says, a prophet like me or a prophet like Moses. Now, from our vantage point, we we can look back and we can see the, the broader context in which this promise has been fulfilled Because it is true that the promise of a prophet here is actually the promise of a whole line of prophets. Because after Moses came, Joshua, in Hebrew, Yeshua, which is where we get the name Jesus from. Joshua, Jesus, same name. And then after Joshua, others came. And God continued to give his life-giving word through a long succession of one prophet after another. He raised up prophet after prophet so that Israel would never be a people without a word from God. And in in their darkest times, he sent a word to them, And according to his eternal plan, he raised these prophets up and he put his words in their mouths. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah says of himself. He says, Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. Now, that sounds exactly like Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. I will put my words in your mouth. You see, this promise was fulfilled again and again. But with each successive prophet, they would speak not only the words of God to the people of their own day and age, but they would speak of another prophet who was going to come in the future. They were always pointing to the final prophet, the one who would ultimately fulfill this promise that this promise would culminate in a final prophet. Now, a few weeks ago, when we looked at Daniel chapter 8 and considered the history there, we we talked about this period of time between the Old Testament and the New, which we call the intertestamental period. 400 years between the the end of the Old Testament with the prophet Malachi until the coming of the Lord Jesus 400 years, and this 400-year this period of time was, was silent. That is, there was no word, no contemporary word, no new word, no new revelation from God during this period of time. There was no prophet that God raised up during this period of time. This was actually the longest period of time in which Israel did not hear a contemporary word from a prophet and it became clear to the people of Israel during that period of time that the prophecy of Deuteronomy 18, verse 15 and 18 is not a promise, not a general promise about a line of prophets, but a particular prophecy about a single prophet. And so when you get to the pages of the New Tes- Testament, when you begin to read the, go- the Gospels, you, you, you discover that the people are actually looking For the prophet. We see this in John chapter 1. In John 1, the Jews of Jerusalem send out Levites and priests out into the wilderness area because John the baptizer is doing his work there. And they're curious about John. And they they ask him, Who are you? And he makes it clear that he is not the Messiah. And then they say, Well, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Those are their exact words. Are you the prophet? And John answers, no. And then, a little bit later in the gospel story, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. It's recorded for us in John 6 that the people saw the miraculous sign of of Jesus turning, uh, 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 multiplying the, the loaves and the fish and feeding this many people. They saw this miraculous sign. And what was their conclusion? John 6, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. And then one chapter later in chapter 7, Jesus is in Jerusalem at the Feast of Tabernacles and he he stands up and he cries out in a loud voice so that everyone could hear him there in the temple courts and he says, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. As the scripture has said, he who believes in me out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And the people heard Jesus, and they shouted out, surely this man is the prophet. In Numbers chapter 12, we have recorded for us there that from God himself that that, that Moses would be different than any of, of the other prophets that God would raise up. And the thing that would make no Moses different was that God would speak to him face to face, face to face without a mask. Now, there can be no doubt that God spoke to and through the other prophets. There can be no doubt that they experienced a communion and a closeness with God. No doubt about that at all. But God said in Numbers 12 that only Moses would speak with God face to face. Only Moses would have this intimate communion and communication with the Lord face-to-face. So in this sense, only, only Jesus is like Moses. Because only Jesus can fulfill this prophecy perfectly. And I say this because Jesus Christ is not just the last in a line of prophets. He is the Son. He is the eternal Son of the living God. And the Apostle John says in John chapter 1 that no one has ever seen God at any time, but, but the one and only who is, in the, who is at the Father's side or in the bosom of the Father. Only he will make him known. In other words, Jesus, because of his unique relationship of being at the Father's side and being in the bosom of the Father, only he could speak to the Father face to face because he is the Son. He is the heir of all things. So in this sense, Jesus is, is like Moses, but in another sense, he is different from Moses because Moses prefigured Jesus Moses brought the word of God to the people, but Jesus not only brought the word of God, he is the word of God in flesh. I will put my words, God says, in his mouth. The third thing here, a prophet with my words in his mouth. Now, if there is anything that marks the ministry of Jesus Christ, anything that causes the ministry of Christ to stand out is absolutely unique. It is his repeated claim that he fulfilled this prophecy to a T. Because over and over again, Jesus said that he did not speak his own words, but the words of the Father. Let me give you several examples of this, and I'm just taking examples right out of the book of John. John chapter 7, verse 16. My teaching is not my own. It comes from him who sent who sent me. Now, John chapter 8, verse 28. When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know who I am, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father says has taught me. Now we go to John chapter 12. Oh, sorry, John 8 again. Let's go back to John to John 8. As it is you are determined to kill me a man who told you the truth that I heard from God. Now John 12. For I do not speak of my own accord but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say. Now we come to John chapter 14. Verse 10, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. And again from John 14, these words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And finally, in John chapter 17, when Jesus is praying in the garden just prior to his arrest, He prays this incredible prayer, and in his prayer, he says to God, I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. Now, I've just given you five or six verses only from the gospel of John, but they are very, very clear that the Father put these words in the mouth of his Son, and the Son spoke as the Father directed him to speak. But friends, all of the New Testament lights up Jesus as this prophet. In Hebrews chapter 1, we have this incredible statement that is made that in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. And he did it in many times, and he did it in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. God speaks through his Son. Now we come to the application point, to you and I and this promise. Advent, at Advent season, we are focused on the miracle that we call Christmas. And what is it all about? It's about the coming of Jesus into the world. It is about the coming of God's final prophet. It is about this promise of a prophet. Now look at Deuteronomy 18, verse 15, one more time. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. Last line is important. You must listen to him. You must listen to him. The overarching question then, I'm asking you today is who are you listening to? I'm not talking about the casual conversations that you have in life with all kinds of people. I'm asking who have you given your heart to? Who are you really listening to? Who have you given your ear to? To whom are you paying attention? You see, asking who are you listening to is the equivalent of saying who is influencing you? Or what is influencing you? What are you giving your attention to? Now I want to talk now about the timing of the promise in you. We have already seen that Israel would go into the promised land, and that the people there were listening to voices, not to the voice of the Lord God, but they were listening to the voices of sorcerers and fortune-tellers and mediums. They were given over to the old cult. And we have seen that this promise was given when Israel was exposed or going to be exposed to demonically powerful and influential voices. Now, why would these voices be so prominent then and so prominent today? It is because they were listening because they were in darkness. They didn't know the true God. And whenever human beings are disconnected from the true and living God, Human beings then try to fill this empty void that is within them because we are made to be in communion with the living God. And we try to fill that void with other things. You, you, you can't escape this void within your heart by, by your own efforts to reason away spiritual realities. There is something in every one of us that yearns for a voice from beyond. There is a consciousness inherent in every human being of the unseen realities of life, the unseen realities that we know intuitively influence our lives in one way or another. There is something that yearns for communication that is otherworldly. Communication with powers that are greater than us, powers that can give us knowledge and help and guidance. You see, the physical things of life and the social aspects of life, as as wonderful as all of them may be, and we we should consider them wonderful gifts from God, but they do not ultimately satisfy our hearts. We long to hear a voice from beyond, a, a voice of hope, a voice of promise a voice that connects us with the next life, with the other life, a voice that gives direction to us, a voice that helps us understand, a voice that speaks authoritatively to us that is not human in origin. Now, in addition to that, there is this undeniable allure that this kind of spirituality offers us that is why when you get to the book of Galatians in chap, chap, chapter 5, the, the passage which, which talks about the, fu- the fruit of the Spirit also talks about the works of the flesh. And do you know that right in the middle of the works of the flesh, there's all kinds of stuff about that, are, that are social sins, there's stuff that are, that are sexual in nature, but right in the middle are sins that are spiritual in nature. Because in Galatians 5, Paul says that the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, witchcraft, It's right there in Galatians 5. In our fallenness, in our carnal way, we're pulled to the allurement of this kind of spirituality. Now, I am not a skeptic about these things at all. I believe, we believe, in the invisible, spiritual, and unseen realm. This is not superstition. There are powers and there are beings that exist that are outside of this physical, tangible dimension in which we live, but they interconnect with and they are operative in this physical, tangible dimension. We believe these spiritual realities exist, but we are warned by God that truth is not found there. And God warns us about communication, with the wrong sources. These spiritual re- real- realities, we must keep this in mind, they are not neutral. They're evil, they're good. They're malevolent, they're bene- benevolent. They're deceptive, they're truthful. Who are you listening to? Who are you giving your attention to? Now hear me that on, on this, hear me. Who you listen to is a matter of life and death. Deuteronomy chapter 18 is clear that listening to these voices will only bring you death. The occult practices that are listed here, which today we see in astrology and horoscope and palm reading and teacup reading and tarot cards and psychic fairs, begins in verse 9, the whole list begins in verse 9 with sacrificing children. Children. Verse 20, look what it says in verse 20. The prophet who speaks in the names of these other gods, what should happen to him? It says in verse 20, he should be put to death. So this list of occult things, this list is bookended by death on both sides. God's communicating something to us here. Listening to these voices will only lead to death. Now, let's be clear, because the passage also says that anyone who does these things, verse 12, is detestable or abominable to the Lord. God considers these things detestable, abominable. Why why would such strong language be used? Because of the source. The source, and the source is wicked spirits. The source is demons. The the source is what the Bible calls the spiritual forces of wickedness. These voices are not from God. Let's be clear. Furthermore, the Bible makes it clear that by having contact with individuals who practice these things, getting involved with them, listening to them, engaging in this kind of stuff, only brings defilement or contamination, pollution, spiritual pollution. Leviticus 19, verse 31 says, Do not listen to mediums. You will be defiled by them, polluted by them, contaminated by them. In 1993, a 39-year-old woman responded to a message that I preached on a Sunday morning. She came to the front of the church and was taken into a room off to the side of the auditorium, which we used for counseling people. One of our elders' wives began to counsel her. I had been in touch with her on a number of occasions and had shared Christ with, with her. She was seeking for the truth. It's a rather long story, but I was out in the foyer at that moment at the end of the service just greeting people and chatting with people, and someone came running to me across the foyer with a frantic voice saying, Pastor, you're needed immediately in the counseling room. So I went into the the counseling room, and there this woman was, and there was the elder's wife trying to console her, and the elder's wife said, "I I don't know what the problem is, but there's something wrong I looked into the face of this, of this woman, and I asked her. It just came to my mind immediately. I don't know how. It was the Spirit of God. Have you been to a fortune teller? And the look on her face revealed it to me immediately that she had. The stress and the anguish that came over her face. I said, what is the issue? She said, I, I'm trying to call out to Jesus. I'm, I'm trying to ask him to save me, but I can't. Get the words out. Have you been to a fortune teller? Yes. We took her into another room, and within a matter of moments, she she fell onto the floor, and we gathered around her, and we prayed over her, and God miraculously set her free of a deceiving spirit. She had been defiled by this deceiving spirit. This spirit had led her into all kinds of meaningful spiritual experiences which she cherished with all of her heart, but they only defiled her, and they brought a bondage into her life. Hear me. Jesus is the prophet who breaks the chains of death. Jesus is the prophet whose word breaks occult bondage. Listening to other voices other than Jesus leads to death. Listening to Jesus leads to life, and he gives life abundantly. Hallelujah. Who are you listening to? It can defile you. Let's talk now about the author of the promise in you. Verse 15, the Lord, your God, will raise up for you a prophet. Why does God promise to do this he promises to do this he promised to do to do this because of his grace Because we as human beings are sinful and we have been separated from the living God. And God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He sent his son into this world because you and I, because of our sin, are alienated from God. We have broken his law. We've rejected his word. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And in our waywardness and in our brokenness, in the waywardness and brokenness of our hearts, we have sought after other voices. We've attempted to find life apart from the life giver, but God has revealed himself through Christ. And God, through Christ, provides access for you and I to come to God. And we need Christ as our mediator, the mediator that God has provided for us. Now let's talk about the mediator himself, the person of the promise in you. Verse 15, you must listen to him. You must listen to him. The gospel writers, each of them, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, record for us the same story. Their facts are all the same, but they approach the story from different angles. But in each one of them, they make it clear that Peter, James, and John had gone with Jesus up onto a mountaintop. They'd gone up there to pray, and when they were there, the mountain was suddenly enveloped by a cloud. I believe it was the same cloud that enveloped the mountain when the giving of the law happened. The same cloud that set that, that mountain on fire. And this time, fire was not seen, but Jesus, who stood in their midst, was suddenly, the Bible says, transfigured. It simply means, it's from where we get the English word metamorphosis. He changed completely. He was transformed in their presence. They could see him. And the scripture says that his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And Peter, James, and John noticed that Moses and Elijah also appeared, and they conversed with Jesus. Now, now why were Moses and Elijah there? Well, Luke tells us that they spoke to Jesus about his departure, which is interesting that Moses would speak to Jesus about Jesus' departure, which it says would be fulfilled in Jerusalem. The word departure there is the word exodus. Interesting that Moses would talk about that, isn't it? Jesus' exodus through the cross and resurrection. And Moses and Elijah were speaking to them, to him there about what was going to happen. But, but, but why Moses and Elijah? Some people have said, well, Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets. And so you have the law and the prophets, which comprise the totality of the Old Testament writings. There's probably some truth to that. But I think that what's happening here is that Moses and Elijah represented the the full line of all of the prophets that God had sent down through the years, this steady line which culminates in Christ. And then it happened. A voice, a powerful voice, a strong voice, a clear voice, came out of the cloud and Peter, James, and John heard it because after they heard it, they fell on their faces to the ground. And the voice said, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. God quoted Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 Listen to him. You must listen to him. Jesus is the promised prophet. And what are we supposed to do with this prophet? Every single one of us must. Listen to him. Listen because he said, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Listen to him because he said, if a man keeps my word, he will never see death. Now this is what we need. This is what you need. This is what every single one of us really needs. We need one who will speak for us as our mediator to be the go-between between us and a holy God from whom we are cut off. And Jesus, the mediator, the Son of God, took the anger of a righteous and holy God upon himself when he died upon the cross in our place. Listen to him. He is our brother from among us. He is our brother who who kept the law of God perfectly on your behalf and who suffered for all of your law-breaking. And he is your brother who can cover you with his righteousness. So listen to him because he is calling you to turn, to turn away from all of those other voices, to turn away from all of those other affections, to turn away from everything else that has blotted out and blocked out the sound of his voice. Don't listen to those voices anymore. Don't listen to those many and, and varied voices that only come from the realm of darkness, but listen to the one who speaks the words of life Words of life that come from the light of the world. Christmas is about the fact that God keeps his promises. Here is a promise of a prophet, and Jesus is that prophet. He is the prophet who satisfies our longings. He, only he, is the voice from beyond which really counts. Only he is the voice to give us hope A hope that never fails only he is the voice who connects us to the father only he is the voice who gives us direction to navigate the complexities of life only he is the voice who will help us understand life only he is the voice that speaks to us authoritatively so listen to him don't settle for imitations don't settle for liars don't settle for who the world is listening to Listen to him who speaks truth, for he, and only he, has the words of life. Please stand. Lord, not only give us ears to hear, but give us hearts that will follow all that we hear. We thank you for your life-giving, light-giving words. We thank you that you came into this world to save sinners. We thank you that you came into this world to give us light. We thank you that you came into this world to set us free. We thank you that you came into this world to break the bondages of all occult powers, that you are the risen Lord, and we praise you, and we give you again our hearts, our minds, and our ears. Continue, Lord, each day to speak to us, we pray. We are your servants, Lord. We want to listen. Father, thank you for these who stand before us today, for your work of grace in all of their hearts, for the way that uh, you have brought them here and the way that you're going to use them in the coming days. We are grateful that we can link arms with them in the great commission that you've given us here to make disciples for the Lord Jesus Christ. May they find West Highland to be a wonderful spiritual home in which to grow in grace and in the knowledge of, of Christ. We pray for each of them that you will keep them by your grace. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.